Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Welcome back to the You Love and You Learn podcast. I'm excited to share today's episode with you where I sat down with Marina, who is the Compassionate Somatic Coach. And Marina works with people who want to experience more aliveness and deep transformation through a somatic body-based approach. And she helps them address their stuckness, triggers, and regulating their nervous system. So before we get into today's episode, I did want to share a quick trigger warning because we do talk about sexuality, but also talking about sexual trauma that Marina has experienced in the form of sexual abuse. So I just wanted to give that little warning in case anyone listening wants to be aware of that as they are navigating this conversation. So I really did enjoy this conversation and I think you really will as well, but wanted to give that quick trigger warning in advance. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. All right. Hello, Marina. Thank you so much for joining the Love and You Learn podcast. Thank you for having me. I've been excited to chat with you and I know that our paths crossed on Instagram years ago now and it's great to be doing, you know, more of a discussion and chat because I love the work that you share and there's so many threads between the work that you're doing and relationships of all kinds. So I think this discussion today is going to be so important. Yeah, and I've been exploring relationships a lot lately, so I'm really excited to dive into that. Oh, good, good. Well, one thing I love is that you refer to yourself as a compassionate somatic coach, not just a somatic coach, but I love that you weaved the word compassion in there. And I'd love to hear more about how kind of both of those things became a part of your world, like the compassion piece and the somatic piece and what your journey has been. So I actually grew up really self-critical, just learning from how I was kind of, you know, spoken to and the way that my family uh, believed that goals would be achieved is through criticism, is through pushing and just very, very intense. And I think the culture is still that way in a lot of places. Um, And then I found Mindful Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff and just really, really opened my eyes because I took, she has like a quiz in her book and I took that quiz and that was in my coaching certification. And I was like, wow, I'm really not self-compassionate. And so I had all my friends take that quiz and they got high scores. And I was like, oh, it's possible to be compassionate. So I really also learned about, I love that she presents the science behind it, that actually compassion is really productive. And a lot of people don't realize that. So the moment I realized that I was really determined to kind of flip the switch of how my inner talk sounds like. And I didn't even know that she had a lot of somatic practices in her workbook. I didn't realize because I wasn't into somatics at the time. But now I see that and it was just so effective for me. And I noticed all of a sudden my inner dialogue was so much more compassionate. And then when I got into somatics, which was 
through different coaches that I had and um, coaches that told me to just sit with my body. And I was like, what does that mean? Because I was really disconnected. I had gone through a lot of trauma and it was really hard to do that, to sit with my body. Um, so that's why I've never done it. I was always thinking and analyzing. And when I found somatics, I found out how compassionate it is as an approach, because it's really about sit with what is happening. Don't change it. Don't judge it. So it's the same idea. And then you just witness how much it changes by just being with it. Um, so it's very productive to just be with something. And that's really also what we need as children. Speaking of relationships, as kids, we don't need someone to be like, stop being sad or let's get ice cream. We just need someone to say it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. Here's how we can be with that energy in our body. Um, so that's what we can do for ourselves as adults. Mm, yeah, I love that. I love Kristen Neff's work as well. It's actually something that I share with my clients too. And I just think her concepts are so important. And there was a quote, I think, in one of her TED Talks that was like, you become the attacker and the attacked when you are not being kind to yourself. And I was like, oh my gosh, that just like really stood out to me. Whereas that opposite approach is really just like you said, saying it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to be experiencing these sensations or whatever's coming up right now. And just being that loving best friend almost to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Segwaying into kind of how both compassion and somatic work plays into relationships, why is the body such an important factor and how does nervous system regulation like tending to your body show up in relationships? I feel like relationships are probably the hardest <laughs> part of our nervous system um, because we bring so much relational trauma into relationships. So I know that there is a statistic out there that like, I think 51% or something have of people have secure attachments. So that means that they brought these secure attaching patterns from their caregivers into their relationships as adults. And how I kind of define that is you can solve issues on your own and support yourself. And you can also ask for help and you can kind of do that equally. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if support is not available outside, you can turn to yourself and vice versa. And um, that really surprises me, I guess, because I don't relate to that, you know, just I've had to work a lot on it and I still continue to. And so many people I know, however, I have, I have met some people who attach securely, um, but essentially I feel like in relationships, it's where we get triggered the most because especially our closest relationships really mimic the original relationships that we had with our caregivers. And that's like the most healing that we need to do. And so our nervous system so easily gets activated in relationships. And if we just communicate, like if we only learn how to talk to each other, it wouldn't be enough because we really need to learn how to regulate our nervous system so that we are not reactive um, and to really feel into our body, okay, what's coming up? Actually, what's coming up is from the past, not from the present. Um, how we project onto relationships. And yeah, it's it's just, it's huge. Just how we suddenly become, 
you know, our five-year-old selves within relationship. And for me, really knowing that comes from, am I charged right now in my body? It's not just my thoughts and what I'm saying, but it's really my body can teach me so much about how I'm traveling back in time to the past. So much good stuff in there. And I think as someone who has experienced relationship anxiety and just as, you know, speaking to, I think the people that are listening that I know can experience some of that, I think what can be really hard is to kind of like dissect almost or be able to sit with some of those feelings coming up in the body because we automatically jump to trying to associate what feelings or sensations are happening in the body with some sort of meaning like this must mean this about my circumstance or this must be because of xyz when really there's a lot of internal stuff to shift through and so you mentioned the word projection that's really important that i focus on as well can you share more about what that looks like in maybe like an example of how someone might be projecting onto their partner or relationship because i think it's a confusing topic in many ways I agree. I think it's really confusing, but I also think it's really helpful, like when you really get it. And I feel like I only really got it like this year (laughs) because I've heard this term thrown around and, you know, different ways, but really diving into my own relationship anxiety and having a coach on it and all these things really helped me understand this. So how I see projection is basically when your partner or also a good friend could be like anyone close to you triggers you somebody triggers you couldn't be anyone and you notice when you really sit with that you notice that what's actually happening is you are seeing in them a part of you that you have exiled so they're doing something that you would never let yourself do so for example I have a few um if you because this happens all the time. If you see someone, you're like, oh my God, they're so needy and they like need stuff all the time. And I can't deal with that. I want to be around them anymore. What's actually happening is maybe you really have a lot of needs that you're suppressing. You're not letting yourself ask for those needs or you're judging yourself that you are really needy. So it's two things. It's either you're suppressing something or you can see a behavior that you judge in yourself that they're doing. And another example that I actually had a lot and I've been able to resolve with my partner is whenever he would rest, because he's like so good at resting, he would rest like every day he would take a nap and I would just drive me bananas. I would have all these stories like he's so lazy. Where is he going with his life? And I would like start dropping things unconsciously to wake him up. It was so funny. And as soon as I realized that it was because I never let myself rest and I could actually learn, you know, that's a beautiful thing about projections is like, oh, I can actually learn from this other person about something that I need that I'm not giving myself. So I started to focus on how can I rest instead of how can I make him not rest? (laughs) And then that stopped triggering me completely. Yeah. That's so powerful. And I just think it's so important for people to hear that relationships really mirror back to us, like what we're afraid of or what we don't really want to actually see, but it's easier to see that on another person. And so those are really powerful examples. And I think, you know, I can speak to it and I'm sure your um, experience is the same that my intimate relationship has been one of the most triggering things that I experienced. And that's, of course, why 
I'm now doing the work that I'm doing and trying to get the message out to people that if you are feeling the same and you're having these triggers or things coming up in the relationship, that that is a really beautiful opportunity for you to actually kind of unpack some of this and learn more about yourself. But I think that there's a lot of myths out there that relationships just should be easy or effortless and that when you find the one you know, and I I know that you're familiar with this as well. So how have you found that tuning back into kind of your inner world and your body has helped you navigate some of the, I guess, relationship myths or expectations? Oh, why do those exist? Like, (laughs) it's so, I feel like it's so relieving when we tell other people this. Like, I remember I was so relieved, you know, to hear from other women. Yeah, my intimate relationship is the most triggering thing for me. Um, So just first of all, understanding that your partner almost like replaces your parents. (laughs) And, And then we have all these expectations from our partners that we expected from our parents. So for example, when I'm angry, take it away. Like say that you were wrong so that I can stop being angry. So even just understanding that, and that's like a five-year-old feeling, right? Like I am angry. I don't know what to do with this anger, even though it's mine. But when you're five, you really do need help with that. And as adults, we need to learn what to do. And that doesn't mean that you can't you know, feel like your partner did something wrong and talk to them about it. But the anger is yours. It's not theirs. So we we get to like take responsibility for that. For me, like the most powerful way that I learn about my triggers is actually to spend time with my parents. Because <laughs> then I, I just kind of notice the quality of connection. It's not the words, it's not the things that they do. It's how I feel in the relationship with them. And then I notice, oh my gosh, I feel the same with my partner. Is that reality? I'm not sure. Like, like, am I, am I just like, you know, projecting onto him? Probably. Um, or, you know, there's two things. So that's why I think it's so confusing, like what you said. And I have felt that so many times, like, should I leave this relationship? Is it actually really, really bad for me? Or am I projecting everything? And I think it's not that black and white. So because we choose partners that have the same kind of um, emotional connection as we had with our parents. So we do that because it's familiar. It feels normal. So there is that. But then we also get so, so triggered by it. So it's even hard to like work through it together. So for me, the layers are, first of all, like work on that trigger on your own and actually notice like, for example, with my partner, I mean, the triggers have changed, but now it's like our our connection is not deep enough. That's like my thing all the time, my story. And being around my parents, I noticed, oh my God, that's my story with my dad my whole life. So then, okay, I need to work on this projection on my own, on this trigger on my own. And from there, I actually, when I was able to do that, I actually was able to say to him, hey, I would love to deepen our connection. I think the issue is that I communicate with words and you communicate in very different ways. So what I'm missing is like verbal things from you. Let's work on this as a team instead of like, you're not deep enough and this is bad and wrong and we need to break up, you know? So it's like, 
you still have that conversation, but you're just, your nervous system is so much more calm when you work through this trigger on your own. Mm, I love that. And I think it's the difference between reacting, excuse me, versus responding intentionally. And when you said you worked through that trigger, I, first of all, I love the notion of being able to one say, okay, I don't feel like maybe there is as strong of an emotional connection, but let's work on it together instead of like, you're bad and we can't work out. I love the fact that you were kind of like, okay, where am I responsible and how can I communicate this? But then second, I want to unpack the the trigger piece that you said, like how you worked through the trigger. What are maybe just one or two ways if you notice that trigger, we're not connected emotionally enough. And then you did start to notice that projection existing within the relationship with your dad what came next how did you sit down to process that not just thinking about it but also in the body yeah that's a great question I feel like it's been such a many year long process so I'll try to pick up like all the pieces um for me was at first a lot around just allowing myself to feel a lot of rage towards my dad on my own, not to like put it on him, but just to feel that around different parts of our relationship. But then the next piece was a lot of grief that came up around that. Actually, it was literally like, I was one day just expecting, breath work helps me a lot. So I was doing breath work and I was totally expecting to like go into my rage and, you know, just scream and shout. And instead, I got really, really sad, like so deeply sad. And it felt like I was grieving, like this connection that I actually never had, like something that I never experienced and I was grieving it. And I think that's one of the trickiest things because we just take the relationship for for what it is. Like we don't actually think about what did I need, actually, that I wasn't receiving. So that's really important. And um, I've been working on that in many different ways. Like, how, what do I need that I am not receiving? Like, even now, you know, in, in with friends or different relationships, because that's a really hard question, like, to even give yourself permission to need something that you're not receiving. So, um, yeah, so I just, like, my body went into this grief, and I cried so much, and I just let myself fully go there, and I think what helped me get there is a lot of regulating my nervous system, like, a lot of practices of regulation, simple ones, also, you know, working with a somatic experiencing therapist about when I'm activated, how can I bring it down? And there's a lot of practices that I teach, like the VU, like the butterfly hug. There's so, so many in my courses. I also have like a free masterclass that people can do that I teach in there. But it's really like simple practices that you do when you're connected to your body. That's the most important thing. Um, and, and just noticing how you go from like 10 activation to like a four, let's say you just, you go down. And so I practicing that over many, many, many years gave space, I believe to this grief. And then actually telling my dad about it was really important for me. Mm-hmm. And luckily I was able to do that. It was actually really hard too. Um, but just like t- sharing that with him was really important and speaking it out loud. I know not all of us can do that and we can even imagine doing that too. That's also an option. Um, so yeah, those are some of the ways. Yeah. And what I heard 
is that it took a lot of patience and practice. And I think that's the hardest piece, especially if you're feeling anxious, it's there's this urgency and I want it to be fixed or to go away. And I feel like I still have a lot of practicing and patience with myself as I'm on my own journey for more somatic embodiment. And I think I'm just at the very tip of the iceberg and I know how important it is. And so I'm going through a breathwork course at the moment, and I hope to also eventually be able to teach it as well or guide others through it. And I feel like, you know, I used to be the type of person that was just all up in my head and I still can be, but I've been really intentionally at least daily or as much as I can. And sometimes multiple times a day, just like bringing myself back to movement or breath or something to actually be in that present moment with my body. And it's not always easy, but I just think a lot of people listening, you know, might feel like it's so intimidating, but my advice, and I'd be curious to hear yours is like, just to start with a small step and just to be curious about exploring your body, at least being open to the process and not needing to know how exactly it will turn out. Yeah, I think small is really important. And my advice would be to just actually sit and notice your sensations and practice noticing um, temperature, texture, color that you give your sensations. Does it feel open? Does it feel closed? Does it feel heavy or light? All these things, you can actually find a list of sensations if you need to and really like notice your throat, your chest, your belly. Those are the main, but you can also notice sensations in your back and your shoulders and your everywhere, hands and feet, like everywhere in your body. And just really practice how you can be with that. Just be and notice and your mind probably will wonder and then you bring it back. So it's really like a mindfulness practice, but not in your head, in your body. Yeah. In Anxiety Rx by uh, Dr. Russell Kennedy, he said a phrase that was really helpful for me, sensation without explanation, which is so big, I think, for anyone, especially if you're experiencing relationship anxiety. I kind of alluded to that earlier, but we often think that every sensation that's coming up, even if we're just in the vicinity of our partner, is directly related to whether or not the relationship is going to work or not. Like We create so many meanings in the head about what's happening in the body. And so this advice that you're giving, which is just to sit and notice and have kind of an open mind about it um, to get into the body kind of open mind and not be thinking about it, but more feeling it is so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's hard like that. It's a practice and I still, and I hear what you're saying about like judging it or judge in relationship, judging that, this means that the relationship is bad or wrong or all these things. I remember having to literally physically take myself out of the house because I felt like I was going to just implode like in his presence. And, you know, it, it it's such a practice just knowing also that all of these sensations change from moment to moment, literally. And like, one day you would want to like break up with them. And one day you would think it's a perfect magical relationship. So <laughs> like, I also worked with um, Natalie Kennedy, who was an amazing um, relationship anxiety coach. And that was so helpful. So like, you know, I, I mean, I really love hiring coaches when I feel <laughs> stuck with something and I feel like it just, it changes things so radically um, when you're working with them, but then also like after you just feel the effects for like a long time after. So 
I highly recommend that, you know, if people are like really stuck in those patterns, it's just someone who will validate you is already like half the battle just to be like, I know this sucks. And it also doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That's what I try to do to my clients. And I, one of my clients said, it was just nice to feel like I had a friend that I could open up to and talk to you about it. And I think that there's so many coaches and experts that can help in all different areas, like somatic work and relationship anxiety work and, you know, trauma therapy. It's like, there's really no shortage of support that you can get. But I think coming back to the compassionate piece, like just starting off with compassion towards yourself and trusting that bit by bit, you can kind of take action from that compassionate place. So thank you for starting off with that. I just, I'm already sitting with so much of the juicy information you shared because it's so important. And I know another topic that you mentioned being willing to talk through is the nervous system when it comes to sex and sexuality. And I think that that is such a big component as you probably are aware also in the relationship anxiety space, because the mind is busy at work and then it's really hard to kind of drop in to the body and enjoy sex or intimacy. And then, you know, add on top of that, if people have any sort of past with sexual trauma, and I know that's part of your story, then there's just so much underneath the surface. And so a not so great sexual moment is actually not just that. It's really all the history that you're bringing with you into that experience. So before we jump into this category, Is there anything about your story that you think might be helpful for people as context for how you're going to share? Yeah, definitely. I think I'm, I'm really curious about where this journey will take me. It was funny because I went to Natalie's retreat this year and at the end she, we kind of gave each other like feedback or love at the end. It was so wonderful. And she told me, you're going to teach sex. And I was like, you're crazy, but okay, but maybe who knows? (laughs) Um, because it is a really big part of my story. Um, my first sexual relationship was abusive. It was like with an older man and I was really young. I was like 15 and I was in that relationship for like three years. And I didn't even conceptualize that like a partner can actually rape you. And so, but that was happening for years. So after that, I was just completely uninterested in sex, like not interested, interested in partnership, but like, eh, and then there's this like terrible thing that also happens. And so I want to share this to give some hope to people because I truly, truly expected this to be my life forever and ever. Um, When I met my partner, at first I was like more open to it, maybe a little more excited, but then like the closer we got because my trauma is from someone that I loved and really, really trusted. My biggest trigger was someone that I loved and really trusted. So like the more I loved and trusted him, the more I would shut down and feel just completely dissociated. I would leave my body. And this is a feeling that I worked on or a state of being dissociation that I worked on so much like somatically in therapy and always. So I was like, why would I want to experience this? You know, (laughs) like I've pretty much been able to work through it everywhere else. And so I just like didn't have sex for so, so long in our relationship. And I actually went to couples therapy with him and I was like, I'm here because he wants to have sex. Like I'm not interested. And um, 
I don't know. I, I wasn't even really focused on it, but I just started doing a lot of nervous system regulation for years and years and years. So that helped me be more and more present. And then working with couples, coaches was really helpful for us because um, our first coach, Jason, was a man. And I was like, I am never talking to a dude about sex. This is not going to happen. But then I felt really comfortable with him. And that really helped just like talking about sex with someone else and like seeing, you know, a big part of it. Um, if you're familiar with the work of Hillary Jacobs handle about emotions, it's really, really wonderful. I recommend it to people. She talks about um, shame and guilt and anxiety all in one category as inhibitory emotions. So basically they inhibit you from feeling the real emotion underneath. And because, you know, for me, it was shame. I know for a lot of probably your community, it's anxiety. But when that comes up, it's inhibiting any pleasure. Like you can't feel pleasure when you're in shame, guilt, or anxiety. So I realized how much shame I was in. That was already like inhibiting, enjoying any part of this experience. So that I really worked through that with, with Jason, but also with Nikita, who is a good friend of mine. And I did her program on Tantra and sex and she's trauma informed and it was just so helpful. Um, and I'm also hosting a retreat with her next month, which I'm really excited about in Costa Rica. And so I think it was a very, very slow and gentle process. And I didn't even... I didn't even have a goal because I was just like so far removed from any idea of even having sex. Like it was just like, nope, that's not going to happen. So it wasn't with a goal. It was just like, mm, let me get curious about this. And then seeing all these women like talk about how wonderful it is for them, how it makes them feel so alive and actually makes them feel alive in their life, not just in sexual moments, how it's fun to explore with your partner. Like I got more and more curious about it. And I would say I'm like at the start of the journey because now I don't get dissociation anymore in sex, which is like amazing. But now there's all these other like more exciting things to work on. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing so openly. I think that your story will help a lot of people, like you said, just have faith that you can at least take action and move through it. And I do think that, I mean, shame, guilt, and anxiety are probably present for a lot of people. And especially I can speak from my experience as a woman, just like this performance of what sex is supposed to be. And we've gotten messages about like pleasing your partner sometimes more than pleasing yourself, especially if you're in a heterosexual relationship. And the fact that it can take a long time for your body to respond or feel pleasure sometimes for women. It's like, it just is, it's like that expression, like men are a, like a toaster and women can be an oven sometimes like to take time to explore. And I know I'm just talking about like my heterosexual relationship, but this applies to any partner and like really exploring their body. But I think we take on so many external pressures of what sex should look like, how it should feel, and then, especially for the anxious mind, we're bringing a lot of that into the bedroom. And also, how do we look? How do we sound? Like, does my body look okay? And so guilt, shame, and anxiety are probably present for a lot of people. And I, I think then it, like you said, blocks you from even just being curious about your own desires and your own body. Um, and you're kind of almost trying to perform. So does anything come up around that when I share that? 
Yeah, I think that's all of that is so true. And honestly, for me, there was nothing that replaced being with a group of women and talking about this. And it was just so funny and cute. Like when I was on the retreat and in the beginning, you know, we were like, yeah, we we didn't want to talk about it. And the more that we opened up just our own arrows, our own excitement about feeling alive, like the feeling of aliveness. There were just so many stories, so many emotions, so many laughs, like it just, we, we couldn't stop. So I think, you know, when you get together with a group of women and you just like really start talking about moments in your life when you felt really alive and you just felt, you know, you just kind of took charge of your own turn on about from life doesn't even have to be sexual. Um, it's just so fun. And you just notice, oh, I really like this energy. This energy is really fun. And I think it's very true. We're very different. Men and women are so different around sex usually. And that makes us women feel really like we're not okay, like our body's not okay. So there's definitely definitely that layer of it. And when you talk to other women and you see like, this is how it works for many, many of us, not all of us, but um, it's so helpful to have now the courage to like bring that into your relationship and say, Hey, this is how I work. You know, let's figure this out together. Like let's figure out a way with this together. And also, again, I always revert to like, if you are so, so, so stuck for me working with coaches and therapists and things like that has been really, really helpful because, you can go in circles with your partner around these things, but then having this third party kind of support you through it and, and like share information, but also just support your feelings about it. It's just so helpful. Um, but yeah, but there's also, you know, working with the body is just so helpful. Like even the other day I noticed we were doing a course right now with Lucy Lamp, who's amazing. And I noticed she just had this, sentence I think it was arrows is alive and everything around me and it was like to practice you know like seeing another person or seeing something else and seeing their arrows even objects in the room and because I'm so connected to my body I immediately realized how threatening that is for me and that's like a challenge for me I don't like giving pleasure. I don't like seeing my partner aroused. And I always like really judged it. It was like, what's wrong with me? I'm so mean. But then I realized it's because it feels threatening because of my past experience. Like, oh, now he can hurt me when he's aroused. He can hurt me. He's a different, different beast, you know, different human now. So my body just told me that, like that feeling of threat. I know it really well. I feel unsafe. So really when you tune into the body, you just get so much information. And when you can just remove the judgment and be like, oh, I feel threatened. It's not because he's threatening. It's because of all these things that I've experienced. Of course I feel threatened. That makes so much sense. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love the piece that you said about like, let's work on this together. What are your thoughts on if someone's having the trigger or thought come up that, well, maybe my sex would be better in another relationship? Like, it's probably just because I'm with the wrong person. I mean, I feel that sometimes I think it's really normal. I think all of us kind of experience that from time to time. And um, 
I think even knowing that so many of us experience that, you know, and maybe it is true in this moment, you know, maybe in this moment in a different relationship, it would be better. That's very possible. But I think it's like, are you and your partner, are you both open to working on it? Mm -hmm. For, For me, like, yes, we both are open to working on it in whatever our own different ways. So that's Another thing, like two people usually work on things differently. And maybe you're like, no, I want to work on this in this exact way. And that's something I really had to learn is to not control the way that we want to work on it differently sometimes. But it's really like, I truly believe that we can work on anything as long as we're willing to. So if both people are willing, that is where, you know, you you have to ask yourself, like, are you willing Um, And I I remember talking about this with Natalie and like talking about different needs that are unfulfilled, whether it's sexually or in other ways in my relationship. And so she was like, okay, well, this is, you know, this is a situation now, these particular needs are not being met. So you can either get them met somewhere else in different contexts. Some people have an open relationship. Some people do this with friends, you know, fulfill their need for connection with a friend or like different ways until things shift within the relationship. So Mm -hmm. those are all questions that you kind of get to ask yourself. Like you have this need, your partner's not giving it to you right now. You can't force them to give it to you. How are you going to fulfill it and really take ownership? Like, yeah, I have this need and it has to be fulfilled. This is my need. Okay. What can I do? So for me, like my girlfriends are such a source of connection mm-hmm. when I feel really disconnected with my partner. Like that really does help me a lot. Just having my girlfriends and talking to them and laughing with them and, you know, crying with them, whatever, all all the things like that really, really helps me through those times in the relationship. And I'm sure there will be many times like that. Yeah, that's so powerful. And yeah, all of what you're saying resonates a lot. If you're willing to share and feel free um not to, but when you said that you and your partner are kind of each working on the sexuality piece in slightly different ways, do you have an example of like how, and it doesn't have to be for your relationship specifically, but how one partner might work on it differently than the other. So people could kind of grasp how that could look. Yeah. I feel like we're always, we're just very different. And I think a lot of people attract their opposite in a lot of ways. For him, it's just really like resting, uh, staring off into space. It's so funny because he's always staring off into space. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, I'm just processing. And I'm like, I don't understand. But then I talked to this Ayurveda professional and she was like, she literally told me every hour and a half, you need to stare into space because you're way overstimulated. And I was like, damn it. Now I have to tell my partner that I have should have learned from him all these years. <laughs> like that is not cool. So it's just very funny because, um, you know, I process and work through things by doing, by doing practices, by working with therapists and coaches and all these things. And I think he can learn from that because he sometimes struggles to receive help and I can learn from him that he does a lot of processing by resting by just like being in nature in the moment and then thoughts come up and things come up so it's like for many many years and then this is something that I still sometimes struggle with like 
I want to have this coach. This coach sounds awesome. Like, let's go work with this coach. And he's like, no, we just finished working with the coach. And now I need a month off everything. And I don't want to talk about this again for a month. And I'm like, why, why, why can't we do it now in this and this way? So it's really learning that, you know, two people just process very differently and they, um, yeah, they get support in very different ways. And I think the more you become open to learning from your partner, I think your partner also becomes open to learning from you. I'm really noticing that if you stop controlling them and you're like, what can I learn from them? Actually, the things that trigger me about them, like, how can I do that more? And then they become way more open to you. And, Mm -hmm. and also (laughs) it's pretty funny, but like what helped me was, when I talked with Natalie about this, about duct tape and like not controlling your partner and not telling them what to do ever, because when you're telling them what to do, you're taking away their own voice in their head that tells them how to fix the problem or how how to work on it. And so I literally had to just be like very forceful about it and rewire this pattern in me that was always trying to tell my partner a million things of what to do every single day. And I would, every time I had the urge, I actually noticed the urge and I was like, nope, duct tape, like in my head, duct tape on your mouth. There's no need. He's an adult. And I practiced that until it became easier and easier to just stay in my own lane. And I can see the massive impact of that. It's just like massive. Like then the person's like, oh, now I notice all these things that I want to work on, you know, in, in myself. Yeah, I love that. I feel like I always have so many aha moments from Natalie because I think even though we're doing such similar work, we think about things in unique ways, which I think all humans do. And so that's why I love having these types of conversations just to chat more and like hear other people's perspectives. When it comes to kind of knowing your own body so that you can bring that knowledge into sex and intimacy, I feel like that's such an important ingredient that a lot of people are are maybe missing is like actually like what we've been talking about being connected to your body. So what feels good or doesn't feel good and knowing that and communicating it. Um, but first being in tune with it, how did you have to go through that sort of exploration in your journey? Yeah. So one thing I recommend to everyone, it's just fascinating is like literally set a timer for five to 10 minutes. You decide and and think about something that brings you pleasure or joy or any like positive emotion and just sit for 10 minutes and see what happens with your body like actually feeling that pleasure that joy that excitement whatever it is it could be literally like food it can be something sexual it can be you know a friend that you just love 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 hanging out with and and just like notice what's happening in your body and when i did that i noticed shame I noticed sadness I noticed fear like all these things like I was able to stay with pleasure for like two minutes I think which or a minute and a half which is a long time I was like nice and and then you know all these other things started coming up so I think that um that exploration is really really interesting just to see how your body can stay with the pleasure you know what ways do you sabotage the pleasure because i think we all do it like we we focus on like sadness and fear and and you know these negative quote unquote i don't think they're negative but they're just like unpleasant emotions but pleasure can be just as unpleasant to us so that's one thing and then 
You know, once I really like started to own um, my pleasure, that it's okay for me to feel pleasure and I love it and it's so fun. And I like really started to own it. I mean, if you would have met me years ago, it's just like mind blowing that this happened because it's like literally a crazy transformation. Um, but just, yeah, I, I would kind of like suppress it so hard. Like, this is not okay. This is not okay. And so really worked on that shame around it. And once you start to own it, then I feel like it's just fun. And you just notice like what feels good to you and that feeling of aliveness. I think that I used to teach a lot about aliveness through just emotions, like opening up to all the range of emotions and how much more alive we feel because I used to feel completely shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that feeling of aliveness and what gets to like activate it, it's just so cool because I feel like in intimacy and sex, it's like a whole other level of aliveness. So it's like working through opening up to our aliveness, like one piece at a time. Yeah. I notice a lot of ways that I even can block just simple pleasure of like laying on the couch with a heating blanket and a book. And then maybe after 30 minutes or so, I'm like, oh, I should probably be doing something. Or I talk with a lot of clients who barely can just sit down and enjoy their favorite TV show on the weekends because then they have a shame story that it's unproductive or lazy And this isn't necessarily anything they're doing wrong. It's just a lot of cultural conditioning that says, unless you're kind of like, you know, suffering through something, you're not working hard enough. Um, And I don't think that until recently, at least, like many people were talking about pleasure in the same way or just actually slowing down to enjoy those little moments, not only related to sex or intimacy by any means, but just in your day to day. And I think that's a great reminder of just getting quiet and actually seeing how, uh, you know, it feels in the body to experience that sensation and how long can you allow yourself to feel the sensation of pleasure before jumping into something different or feeling like it's too much. Yeah. It's, it's still a struggle for me to rest for sure. I have to like, (laughs) my partner was kind of making fun of me. He's like, you're doing this so regimented, even resting. (laughs) So I always joke about it with my clients. Like yesterday and I rested and it was so hard. (laughs) It's like, it's still hard, you know, it's still like literally like effort for me to do it. So I feel like when we work with the nervous system, sometimes this is surprising, but you need to stay in your window of tolerance. And that's how you actually expand your window of tolerance. Meaning when you are like, okay, I I really don't know how to rest and I want to learn how to rest, even though it sounds like that's going to be really easy for your body, that's going to feel really unsafe because it's different. It's unfamiliar. Your body's like, ah, I'm freaking out. So don't make yourself rest for three hours, right? Like see if you can do it for 10 minutes, like whatever feels I would say a tiny bit over manageable, like it's manageable. And then it's like a tiny, slightly bit uncomfortable. That's how I change all my patterns. For example, I used to overexercise really badly. And so when I started to change that first, I was like, okay, I'm just going to start walking really, really, really slow on my walks. And that drove me insane. I couldn't do it. I was like, literally had to regulate myself in the middle of my walks So I found like a medium pace that was like slower than I used to walk, but not super, super slow. And that's how 
you know, that's how you shift things, really. It's it's the most effective and compassionate, but it's also like so effective way to shift all of your habits and patterns is you notice it, you're aware of it, you notice the consequences, you notice how it feels in your body when you're engaged in that pattern. And then, okay, how can I just slowly, slowly shift it? Yeah, slightly out that comfort zone, but not so far past it that it feels unmanageable. That's a great reminder. Before we kind of close out with the final couple of questions, is there anything else around anything we've talked about today, like compassion, regulation, triggers, anything like that, that you want to share or leave listeners with? I want to emphasize, I think you emphasize this, but I want to emphasize it even more like how long this stuff takes and you know, within relationship for me, especially like my healing journey has been like very focused on myself first and just like how just seeing myself as this very traumatized person that just like barely functions and, and, you know, that's of course like shifted, but really like working on my own regulation, my own healing. And then once I had more capacity, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm curious about how I show up in relationships. So then I started with like friendships and then during that time it's really interesting because when my partner and I met we had a very we've been together for 12 years and we had a very specific dynamic of he was the caretaker and I was like save me and so you know he just helped me so much he helped me like day to day to just like really function for the first five years so then the moment that I became more self-sufficient more regulated he was like like all the roles are changing and like it was like a crazy death like a crazy murder of our first version of our relationship it was just insane and so like you know it's it's just i feel like we're still kind of we're at the tail end of this like murder <laughs> it sounds weird but it's really how it feels like this like old era and this new era and you know um, you could, like Natalie used to tell me that, that you could break up with your partner and have a new relationship, or you could break up with your partner and have a new relationship with your partner. And that's kind of like what we've been doing. So just emphasizing that this is a lot of work and it takes a lot of time and you will see the benefit of sticking to it. I really believe that as long as you remind yourself every day and you really like let yourself be frustrated about it let yourself bitch and moan about it let yourself have a little like tamper tantrum or whatever you need with someone else and with yourself and really validate like this is hard work but I'm doing it yeah I love that thank you for sharing as well about that experience and I didn't realize that you'd been in your relationship for 12 years, but I love that you were able to kind of break up with that old pattern, if you will, and bring in a new one. And I'm sure there's been many other pattern and dynamic changes since then. And I think that's the same with my own relationship, even though we're just at year seven now, there's still like these different iterations of how we've shown up. So I really appreciate that. So one question I ask everybody, because this is the You Love and You Learn podcast, what is one thing you have learned about love that you would like to share with listeners? I would say how easy it is to close yourself off to love 
And like for me, I feel like it's really my, it's like my biggest craving and my biggest fear at the same time. And I feel like for so many people, it's like that. Um, It's like as soon as you actually get it, you're like, no, no, this is too much. In all the ways, like even in my friendships, even moving to Costa Rica and so many people being like so kind and helpful and giving. And I'm like, this is so overwhelming. So my practice, and I'm still learning, is like, how do I keep my heart open to love? And I feel like I am so such a loving person. And it's so much easier for me to give love than to receive. And the receiving is so vulnerable. You're like, ah, I don't want this. Like, I don't want to be seen in this. This is just kill me now. Um, So the receiving is like so much more vulnerable and um, really learning about that a lot. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, It's easier said than done to have your heart open. So thank you for that reminder. Where can people connect with you if they want to stay in touch with what you're doing and learn more about your work? I have a podcast as well. It's called Deep Within. I love my podcast. So check that out. It's a it's a really nice space to like expand on all the things probably for you too, right? And then um, on Instagram at marina.y.t. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Marina, for coming on. I learned a lot and I enjoyed hearing more from you and I'm sure listeners will feel the same. Thank you, Sarah. This was great. All right. See you everyone on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.